Hi, my name is Tony Wynn, and this is the Remotely Software Podcast, where I interview remote software developers to discover how they and their team work effectively from different locations. This week, I talked with Taylor Brooks, a remote software developer working out of Austin, Texas. In this episode, we talk about building out a remote workspace, deep work and scheduling time, advantages and drawbacks to pair programming, and feeling planted in a place as a remote worker. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So I'd like to know what is on your desk right now, Taylor. <laughs> I feel really embarrassed because it's really messy. Um, there's a MacBook Pro. I'm staring at a, a two, two screens of an iMac. Actually, I've got two MacBook Pros on my on my desk and, uh, and an iMac with a Thunderbolt. There's a book. There's a watch. There's an old coffee cup of water, a knife, a razor, various bills, and um, I think that's that's about it. The so the knife and razor are these like how did these end up there? Are these things that you like to fidget with, or is this uh, like across a path in your house that collects things? That yeah, it's the latter, and I, it drives me crazy because the corner right side of my desk is the like dumping place where if my wife finds anything that she's you know trying to pick up or my kids it's it's actually a dumping place for i guess my wife and myself to like put whatever random stuff is there and also a pickup place for my kids of what what interesting stuff that they can play with when they really walk in my office it's so yeah the knife the razor the things that they come in and look at so it's dangerous is it a fairly trafficked area or is it just connecting uh, different parts that it just makes sense for things to wind up there? No, it's not trafficked and it's in and kind of hidden away from all the other traffic places, which is why it makes it a perfect place to put stuff. So it's out of everybody else's way, but in mine. Gotcha. Do I remember your, your office, you kind of crafted, built out, uh, kind of an existing room or something. Can you go into like a little bit of your planning of of how what you have today came to be? Yeah, so originally I worked in my bedroom when, when I started working remote. And when we bought this house, we one of the reasons why we bought this house was it had a standalone office and it was like my back cave. It was my room that I was going to get to decorate how I wanted to. And whenever we went out building you know, building and furnishing this room is um, we double hung the sheetrock. So it uh, provides extra sound deadening uh, for both me and uh, in, in like people outside the room can't hear me and I can't hear people outside, outside the room. So uh, Mm -hmm. twofold Um, the doors are like, normally there's like an inch and a half gap along the the floor and the doors. uh, So air can ventilate through. Well, like I, our doors are my doors in my office are slammed, so no sound or air can come through. So um, yeah, this office was built specifically for keeping sound out and being like my little my little haven. Compared to the bedroom office, is this a lot better? Is it marginal? How important has the sound ended up being? Not only the sound, but this office in general is a um, like a unique advantage of me as a worker. And having a like a, this dedicated office that I can go and retreat to and kind of think in, and not have outside distractions and whatnot. Like I, I can never imagine 
not working in this office. In fact, I don't even, I've tried doing the coffee shop thing and rotating around to, you know, different eateries and stuff, but I just can't work effectively when I'm, whenever I'm outside this office. So part of it's having the multiple screens and a lot of real estate to work. And then also just the kind of Zen, Zen state that I try to get into whenever I'm working <laughs> in here. Do you tend to stay uh, seated most of the time? Or uh, are you moving around at all? Like you've got a MacBook there, but you obviously have two screens that you're you're connected to. Do you tend to stay pretty stable? I bought a standing desk, but I th- think it was more of an aspirational purchase. <laughs> I noticed that once I bought my standing desk, I actually started sitting more than I stood before I had a standing desk where I would just kind of like hack it and stack a bunch of books and put my MacBook Pro on top of a bunch of books and stand. So... Um, that didn't really work out, but I do have like a lounge chair in my office. And if I'm ever getting tired of sitting in my office task chair or standing, then I'll sit in my lounge chair and take my MacBook over there. Gotcha. I've noticed that it's right around three, like 3 PM. It's that time where it's like, ah, it's, you know, is it too late for coffee? Is it too early for beer? My butt's hurting. I need to sit in the lounge chair. Like that's, that's, that's my kind of like checkout time. So do you finish the day in the lounge chair or do you? I do. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Um, So you said that you had two MacBook Pros. What's the story there? Uh, I just bought a brand new one after the the latest, um, is it KB Lake or Skylake? Whatever the latest release was um, Mm -hmm. for Apple. And I was waiting. I was hoping that there's going to be a different form factor of the MacBook Air, um, but there wasn't. So I figured now's as good as time as any to get a new 13 inch pro. Cool. So my, my old, I'm in transition is a short answer. Gotcha. So far so good. Yeah. It's a great machine. I love the chiclet style keyboard. Um, mm-hmm. I like the trackpad, how it's that force touch. There's a, there's a couple annoying things that I don't like. Um, one is the, and I guess this is standard for Apple is, you know, you go through dongle hell we were like, oh, they changed all the connectors, and so this one's USB-C, and it doesn't have the MagSafe, which I was a small thing that I didn't realize I'd really miss. I've seen that there's a Kickstarter that is a USB-C MagSafe kind of connector thing. It looks pretty neat. I haven't heard reviews on on if people really like them or not, but interesting. It looked interesting. Yeah, you've got two big monitors displayed out. Do you tend to keep the same thing on? on each of those monitors uh, while you're working, do those things tend to get uh, mixed around at all? No, I stay pretty regimented on what's on one screen and what's on the other. And I really wish that there was some app out there which could basically tile my windows for me whenever I start up. So I could just run some sort of key command and it would just put those windows that I always use and tile them and then put them in a given workspace. Cause I like working in spaces. Mm-hmm. And then so I could have some certain spaces for one sort of task and other spaces for another. So an example would be if I'm doing some research on stuff, like I don't want those browser tabs in the same space that I'm perhaps doing like live coding. Cause I don't want to conflate the two. Cause I notice I'll get off track and that's how I get distracted. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that. I'd like to have some sort of tiling manager. If anybody knows anything out there, I'd love to hear about it. Cool. Um, are there other tools that you use besides obviously the monitors and the MacBook Pros? What do you write your code in? What browsers? What other various tools help you out? Chrome for for browser. Uh, 
Tmux and Vim for, for coding. I found a new app called Spectacle, which is a kind of tiling or window management system. It's awesome. It's all about keyboard shortcuts. It's open source and they take donations. Um, nice. But it's really a really good tiling or window management program. I think it's spectacleapp.com is the is the URL. I just I've been doing a an experiment with a mail.app in the past use airmail for my email client. Mm-hmm. And I just noticed that they were just killing my memory and CPU. I don't know if it was like indexing the the database of emails or or what, but it was just it was killing battery life on my portable computer, so I switched over to mail.app and found a Gmail shortcut plugin on GitHub. That allows me to navigate the, the mail windows that way. Other apps, I use Dash for documentation, for code documentation. Um, it came out of necessity when I was you know, traveling and on an airplane and you're not connected to the internet and you need to look up some ways that methods or modules that you want to you know, call into. So Dash downloads that documentation locally. But I noticed that I use it all the time because that also has great keyboard shortcuts. Like if I want to do Ruby, I just type ru colon and then search the module or the met, the class or method that I want to look for. Or if I'm looking in Elixir, I can type an ex colon and then search, say, string or process or gen server or whatever. Yeah, the muscle memory on those kinds of tools is what's kept me out of it because I've for so long just always just Googled whatever it was I was asking and then getting the documentation kind of as the first result. So it's been really difficult for me to break out of that pattern. So maybe having having an app with good shortcuts that feels like I've got a, a real quick advantage uh, to using it be helpful. Yeah, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention Alfred, uh, which is my is the glue to all almost everything I do. It's basically a spotlight on steroids. Mm-hmm. I've played with it a little bit. I know it can be super powerful. Are you a, a fairly advanced user where you're like piping things from? from one bit and writing it out to other files and all that kind of stuff or is I used to try uh, to do that with Quicksilver when Quicksilver was a thing but I've noticed that my litmus for when to start using some custom workflows is if I do something more than twice or three times and it's likely that I'll do it again or it's some keyboard thing or some workflow that I'm doing manually with perhaps a, a mouse and keyboard and I do it pretty regularly, say on a weekly basis, then I'll try to search GitHub or whatever the Alfred forum is and, and find some better way to do it. My favorite one recently is typing in um, GH and it brings up a GitHub search. And so you mm. can start searching for whatever, whatever it is. And it will just bring you directly to the code repository in GitHub for that given search term or you know whatever it is. Cool. Any uh, tools in particular that you found helpful for doing kind of distributed remote type stuff, like a, a favorite video sharing app or uh, anything like that? What does your ideal toolchain look like, if not uh, current toolchain? Obviously, Tmux and Vim are my preference for pairing. As far as video stuff, Hangouts, Skype, any of those, they seem, they seem, oh, you know what? I like Appear, appear.in. Mm-hmm is one of my favorites. I think the it's free. It's you know you can reserve a room and just have a named room and that works out well for me. I really like that. Do you like it mostly because of the lack of friction involved or is it other features beyond that? Yeah, it's exactly that. Like people don't have to there's a small plugin that folks may have to download, but if you're using a you know modern browser 
like Chrome, Safari, or Firefox, and you're stay pretty current on updates, you know, you just send someone a link and you say, join me in, in two minutes that are in the room. So Nice. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got started in remote? Was that something you were looking for at the time? How were you first introduced to uh, working remotely? Kicking and screaming. Um, <laughs> actually, kicking and remote was something I was interested in. It was pairing that was kicking and screaming. <laughs> I worked with a developer at a past job, and it was like to the day that his non-solicit expired, he called me. <laughs> and which I was like flattered that he would ever that he would think of me that that well to be like I've got my eye on this guy and when my non compete expires he's coming coming with. So you know he he said we're we're all Tmux and Vim's at the time I was on Sublime so there's going to be some ramp up in in new tooling that you're going to have to get used to. It's all pair programming. Uh, I didn't know it at the time but there's a ramp up also in just the mentally being on for an extended period of time with your pair that mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of. And it wasn't something I was actively seeking to do remote work. I just kind of fell into it, but there, I just cannot imagine going back to, to, to going back in an office. There's just, there's no way. So besides obvious things like uh, commute into work, what are the big things that keep you wanting to be at home? I'm in my environment, like I've kind of built this environment around how I think I work best. Um, I'm surrounded with the books that I want to have close by me. I'm close to my coffee station, the way I like to do coffee. I'm close to, um, I happen to live close to a bunch of great restaurants that are within walking distance. So at lunch, like I just, you know, walk to wherever I want to go to. I can see my neighbors. I can take care of uh you know, household stuff if I need to, you know, and then just not spending time in a car. I can, I've thought about going to a one car family. Currently we have two, but I, ne I like never drive it. It's like once a quarter. Mm -hmm. It's all that stuff. Plus I get to see my family more. I mean, a habit that I didn't have before remote that I have now is I pretty much cook breakfast every morning for my family. And that is just something I, you just can't put a price on. Like I can't imagine ever you know, it, it would just take so much money. There's not an amount of money that it would take to move me away from that. Mm -hmm. So so you said you wake up and you get to fix breakfast for your family. What's a typical day look like for you? Probably up at 7.38, start coffee's first. You know, it's the, it's the uh, put your own mask on before you put your children's <laughs> mask on. So it's like coffee is my mask that I need to put on. You know, dad needs it intravenously if if that was available. Um, <laughs> breakfast. I try not to open any screens before I finish time with family. Um, I sometimes cheat and you know check email or just see see that stuff. I've gotten really reliant on my calendar, and I try to schedule out every single hour of my day and use notifications. At nine, it's like hit the ground running, and my calendar is already like predetermined what I'll be working on that day until five. And once five hits, then I'm, you know, then I'll start cooking dinner. I try to cook dinner as well. So, uh, or I will cook as a family. I don't want to take too much credit. Um, <laughs> when do you enter in the events of the day? What's happening nine to five? Hopefully the night before, if not sometimes before that. 
I read a great book called Deep Work by a guy named Cal Newport, who's a professor of theoretical computer science at Georgetown. So he's really stupid. But <laughs> the book is really accessible for how smart he is. And it just changed the whole way I think about work and you know structuring my day. And so one of the things that he talks about before you close your day is you have a shutdown task routine. And part of that routine mm-hmm. is doing a quick retro of your own day, just individually, and then deciding what your task list is going to be like the, the following day. So I've tried to follow that whenever I start my day and end my day is having a, you know, following the, following the calendar. Does your day end up looking pretty similar to what your plan was for it? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I say I'm structuring in, you know, every single hour is structured. Some of those hours are the two hour blocks of, you know, goof off or, well, maybe not two hours of goofing off, but they're, they're unstructured time where I've said, this is up for you to decide in the moment how you want to spend that time, whether it's sharpening your ax and researching new productivity tools or new programming language or something like that. That, that time is structured into the day, but from nine to five, every hour is, it has a block. Cool. So what typically happens, we kind of have a, a lead up till nine o'clock and then fairly structured. What's kind of your style and method of getting work done? Well, the company I work for practices um, agile. So there's a stand up at 10. So I get a full hour of nine to 10 before I actually head into my job. I structured that time for catching up on news, what's going on in current events in the US and then maybe industry news on Reddit, stuff like that reading Hacker News. After stand-up, then it's working on my full-time job all the way up to lunchtime. Lunchtime is either a run, depending upon the day, it's either a run and then lunch, or it's work on a side hustle and then lunch. And then it's back to full-time work. That full-time work has other agile uh, ceremonies in it as well, which are which are scheduled out. And I build in uh, rethink time to transition back into deep work whenever I get out of those ceremonies. Um, mm-hmm. And then after that, then at the end of my day, I typically every day at like 8 p.m., I schedule a, a reading, like an hour reading time. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the time between the ceremonies and getting into deep work? Like how, how do you use that time to transition yourself? I have a Spotify playlist that has music with no words that I found to be really effective. And part of it's just like turning that on, sh- you know, shutting down any, any browser tabs that have like to, that are to read. I try to close those down or save them into a bookmarking app. So those aren't out of my way. And then just having terminal right there. Ready, ready to rock and roll. And whenever I go on a break, if there's anything top of mind that I, that I need to, that I was thinking about while I was in the zone, I try to put that into, I have a, in the bottom left window of my main screen is a terminal uh, window that just has a daily dot uh, markdown file. And I write, I, const- I have that open all the time and I constantly write down what I'm thinking or what the three things that I wanna get done for that day. And so when I come back from a break or from a ceremony, I'll look at, you know, what I was thinking before I got uh, broken up into that and then I'll, you know, turn on music and then transition back in. Do you save your daily dot markdown file off at the end of the day and start it afresh the next day or how how does that roll over? No, it's just always there. But I try to clear out I the today's plan usually only has three or four things on it and it's the three thing three or four things that I want to get done for that day. 
So you talked about when you first started this gig, which was uh, how long ago now? Uh, October 2014, I think was my... So coming up on three years almost. Hmm. So you talked about you were doing pair programming then. It sounds like you're not really doing pair programming now. How has that transition been for you? I've I've liked it. I my my role at the company has changed where I you know maintain a um, a legacy app. I like maintaining that. It still gives me some autonomy and mastery over you know whatever I get to set my own schedule and choose for the most part, choose a lot of the things that I want to work on. That's fun. And the business has chosen not to dedicate any more resources to that other than a single developer. And it's been okay. Um, there's a lot of personalities that I've worked with that I miss being able to talk to on a daily basis and learn from and just hang out with. If you were able to pick now, is one better than another one for you to be effective in working? Are they just different disciplines that you you have to be able to manage and you can feel like you're able to manage each kind of effectively within their own constraints? Or how do you feel about it like from a step back having done both? Yeah, I, I like both. I'm, I don't have any preference one way or the other another the main thing that i did not like whenever i did prepare programming full-time was having music and i know some folks will have us you know put it very softly in the background and and still listen to it while they're pairing i i just i don't have the attention for that so i do like i think flow is harder when you're pairing and Hmm. at least for me um it was it's easier for me to get into flow whenever i'm uh running solo and it's not that one's better than another. It was a, it, they're trade-offs, right? So one is right. I get to talk with a friend. We both get to look at the same bit of code. I actually learned more, learned more and faster when I paired. I feel like I really leveled up my skills with the devs that I was able to pair with in a very short amount of time. The other one is more flexibility in my schedule. Um, mm-hmm. I get to what I feel like get into flow better with, with music. And so I don't think in my personal opinion, one's not better than the other. They're just different. You live in Austin, Texas and you are remote. So mm-hmm. I, I take that to mean there are lots of potential options that are, are very close by. There's obviously a lot of meetups and other stuff going on. Can you talk a little bit about being remote, but being inside of a kind of a tech hub and the, the interaction between those things, is it fairly common among other people? Do you feel like people are frustrated that, oh, Taylor's off in his uh, perfect cave that he's designed for himself and we never see him? <laughs> I think pre-kids, I, I involved myself in the community a lot. Like I would go to all the meetups and Austin does have a really vibrant tech scene and a really vibrant uh, programming scene. And there's a meetup space, co-working space, whatever you want to call it, downtown called Capital Factory. Uh, we now have uh, Galvanize and WeWork and a couple of locations that we work actually that have popped up downtown. But Capital Factory is the kind of technical, technological, cultural epicenter of uh, the Austin tech scene. And so they host the Austin on Rails, the Ruby meetup, the Elixir ones, the PHP ones, whatever. They host it all. And so I did early on go 
to a lot of those meetups and I just haven't anymore. Um, and it's really like Austin is great, but there's so many people that have discovered that it's great too. And so <laughs> they've moved here. And so traffic is terrible. People always say, well, how far do you live away from downtown? And I say, well, that depends on what day it is. You know, if it's Monday at, you know, 9 a.m., I live almost 30 minutes to an hour away from downtown. Wow. It's, but I live 10 miles, right? Mm-hmm. If it's Sunday on at 10 a.m., I live seven minutes from downtown. That's kind of where the remote thing is, for me at least, uh, really appealing in that I'm not spe- I did the I did the hour commute um, and it was horrible and it's just a really terrible waste of time to sit, you know have a engineer that's getting paid a lot of money to sit in a car for three hours a day going to and from work mm-hmm. um, so Austin's a great town to be in um, I hope you know knock on wood that I don't have to go into an office I feel like the the, the city and the companies here are probably getting better about allowing um, developers and, and other folks that may be product managers to work remote because our traffic situation is so terrible that, and they, you know, everybody kind of realizes it now that it's just wasted time and wasted productivity. So I feel like our culture is pretty open to it. Cool. What keeps you in, in Austin? You're not super involved in the tech stuff that's there. There's obviously good barbecue and whatnot uh, close by. Is that uh, what it is? Or is there being remote, does that make you look at other places that might be cheaper to live or whatever and be like, huh, maybe we could jump over there for a bit? Yeah, I've thought about that. I thought a couple of years ago that we would move to Chattanooga and like really dial into, that's the one cool thing about remote is that there's a opportunity for like location arbitrage that you can get paid at some super high salary of, you know, a lot of metropolitan areas, and then you can live in a really rural area. And so you can kind of get a big pay bump that way. So we mm-hmm. thought about moving to Chattanooga a couple of years ago, and we actually put an offer on a house and we got back to Austin. And for me, it was apparent that Austin's home. Um, we've built up a great bit of friends here. You know, we're, we live in a neighborhood where, Pretty much every house around us has kids that are our kids' age, and there's something very idyllic about our kids, you know, growing up with um, these families and having lifelong friends. And so, it's like that saying, like everything's great, like let's change it. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to change it. And so, I could live in this house, uh, hopefully, till the day I die. Gotcha. Very cool. Are there other opportunities that you have taken advantage of being remote, gone on short stints places, or obviously you're using your lunch break uh, to be able to work on side projects and stuff? That would be a lot more difficult if you were in an office. What kind of ways are you taking advantage of being remote, be it with the extra time or being free from a particular location? Yeah, it's free. It's 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 time for me. It's just time for freedom. That I don't really like to travel that much. I noticed that I have like a 10 day band of once like day 10 hits or, you know, when I'm edging up against 10 days and if I've been away from home, I'm like, I got to get back. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. I get really homesick. So I, I follow people on Instagram that do like the RVing down the California coast or up the Eastern seaboard and that spend a lot of time kind of on the road in an RV. And I look at that and I'm like, I want that. 
But then I'm like, <laughs> I know that I wouldn't really want that. <laughs> I would get like, you know, I'm centrally, lo- Austin centrally located. So it's really six hours, you know, west or east to get out of the state. And I would mm-hmm. probably get beyond a little bit beyond the borders. And they're like, this is not going to be a good idea. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. Nice. So again, like I said earlier, like I work best in my in my man cave, and um, and I've optimized for that. So working remotely anywhere else for an extended period of time would just drive me crazy. Cool. Have there been uh, particular challenges uh, for you working remote? Obviously, it sounds like level of volume on for children or for you with napping children was an issue. Have there been other things. At one point, you know, I, I did, like, try to have a set time with the family, like, saying, hey, like, I'm I'm going to be on a hangout, and I'm going to be on a phone call with someone, and, like, there has to be absolute silence or whatever. And now, I just don't care. Like, my kids walk in, and they're <laughs> like, is the video on? Like, can they make an appearance? And, uh... So I, I just love it now. I sometimes I even keep my door open if my headphones are on and I'm got Spotify turned up really loud. Like I'm like I don't care. Come in whenever you want. That's that's part of the reason why I'm doing this, right? So I can see my family more. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for uh, someone that's maybe just getting into working remotely, either from the perspective of what should I be looking for, what kind of questions should I be asking? a company also as they're starting out what kinds of disciplines or ways of working do you think someone that's just getting started it would be really helpful for them to do so our good friend andy Minchin wrote a great post on this and i'm trying to find it right now but i can't so i would say go read that and one of my main takeaway from that was not all remotes are created equal and what i mean by that is there's some companies that say they're remote you know, air quote, but what does that really mean? Is everyone remote? Is everyone in the company remote? The company that I joined, everyone was remote. There was no central office. The CEO worked from their home. I worked from my home. My, you know, PMs and other devs that I paired with, they worked from their homes and they spanned from Seattle, Washington to Austin, Texas, to New York City, to one guy in Germany. In Bavaria, right? So <laughs> that that is like, in my mind, that's the true remote. And I think that is, if you're going to work remote, that is the best way to approach it because everybody's on the same footing. The other spectrum would be a central office where, say, 80, 90% of the workforce is. And then some, perhaps they wanted to fill some recs. They found great developers. They found great people on their team, but they were remote. They negotiated being a telework or whatever. And so they're, they're more uh, the exception. And I would, so that's one, that's the other end of the spectrum. And then mm-hmm. there's all sorts of companies in the middle. In my opinion, best case scenario is everybody's remote and everybody's on equal footing. Otherwise it creates this really weird dynamic and you miss out on kind of social or, social or, or cultural norms with the you know main office with most of the workforce and then they're just you're like a second class citizen is my guess or what i've experienced or heard from their developers that are in that so if you want to work remote try to find a company that is fully remote and perhaps to ease into it if it's 
pair programming to ease into it, find somebody that's in a, on an open source project and work with them. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. My biggest uh, advice would be understand that remote is a buzzword or has become a buzzword and uh, realize what you're getting into before you get into it. Right. So if you've got two identical offers and one uh, doesn't have a central office and everyone is distributed and the other one does have a central office and there's like three of you out there, obviously take the one uh, where everyone's distributed. Do you have advice for the people in the other situation? Like, can people be successful in an environment with a large central office where you are kind of a second class citizen? Do you have any insights into how you can be successful there? Sure. It's not that all is fatal and all hope is lost <laughs> and, you know, you're better off just not even doing it. But I do think there are some challenges. And if you haven't worked remotely before, then you may not even be aware of those challenges. Worst case scenario is if you're on a video conference, say, and there are 10 people in the central office on on a video chat and it's just you eventually there'll be some sidebar conversations of people in the central office and you're going to miss something that's being said. You know, if it's important, you're going to be like, Hey, what, 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 what was the joke or what, what did someone say? And to repeat it, it's just, it just doesn't really work out uh, that great. So if you can, in a sense, train your central ops colleagues and coworkers to each individual person, get on a video uh, chat and be on equal footing just as you are. And that may seem weird when two people that sit next to each other on the same hangout, I think it's better mm-hmm. because everybody has, uh, there's a standard there. Is there anything uh, that you see about the the future of working remote? Do you feel like there are particular technologies that are going to gonna change the game? Anything that you're excited about as technology deals with remote? I hope it like is I hope more companies are buying into it and and seeing it. I don't I don't have any like empirical data to say that that's true or not, but to, it seems very pragmatic to me that if I own a business and if I want to hire if one of my values is I want to hire the best people and the best I'm limiting myself if the best people if I'm only choosing the best people that are in Austin, Texas. Like there are the best people all over the world. Particularly if you think about if you want to hire support people and one of your values is, you know, support requests are answered in less than an hour. Well, if you're you're only hiring support people on one side of the club, then it's really hard hard to rectify that value of having support requests answered under an hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're going to need to hire other, you're going to need to build some office on the other side of the globe or hire someone else. So it just seems practical in my mind to hire a remote uh, workforce because you're going to get the best people. Um, and I think it's for me and I'm not, I hope I'm not projecting. I think most people would be happier working from home. I think so. Maybe people that need more guidance would prefer going in office or perhaps more social. I did think that early on that I would miss some sort of social aspect of not going in office. But I think if you hang out enough and you build in some routines into your, your remote culture, then it can equally be just as social, if not more social than a in-person office. Mm-hmm. What are those kinds of things that are important to build in to uh, create a healthy remote culture? 
Well, one of the things that we did was we would have a Friday happy hour where we would, you know, starting at, say, 4, 4 p.m. Uh, of some agreed upon time, people would just grab a beer and just chat about the week and and just talk about just random stuff, articles that they've read on online or wherever. There is something that's very, by nature of just pairing, there's something very intimate about screen sharing and, and being on a co- video conversation all day. Like you're, you're really in that person's house. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have a family and their kids are walking in or their wife's walking in, you get to that. Those conversations come up more. If <clears throat> you're trying to schedule your time with your pair, you know, you're like, I need to take a longer lunch because I need to do this, that or the other, or like, Hey, can I cut out early? Like I'm planning on going on a date night or whatever. Like those type of, conversations about your personal life come up uh, more often uh, than they would, that I found than they would in an, in an office setting. So it just, I think by nature of being remote, it just creates a more close working relationship with the people that you work with. Now that you're working remote, do you find your outside of work hours are, are spent differently than they were before? Like, are, are you feeling like you need to be around people more in a physical space because you you haven't been and therefore you want to get out of the house get out of the office or or whatever not no but i'm i feel like i'm pretty introverted and i could go a week or two without talking to anybody and i'd be fine (laughs) so it's not like because i'm not seeing people that i like crave being around people more um i'm like i'm pretty good (laughs) how long can we keep this going um (laughs) Personal hygiene is a concern. It's like, you know, it's you're like, oh wait, you're, I'm starting to measure my uh, my my showers in in weeks now. So like the term changes. On the um, plus side, uh, you've got way less laundry to do. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's if I'm on video video mute, like if I've turned my camera off, you know, I'm I'm three days into the same shirt. So, <laughs> yeah, but I, I I don't think my behaviors changed that much um outside of where i mean i have gotten into one of my goals for 2017 was um exercising more and um running running a some specific amount of road races and so i've been able to build my schedule my work schedule around my running and training schedule which i don't think i would have been able to do or i think it would have been much harder to do if I worked in an office, cause you're like, I got to take my running stuff and then I got to do a shower. And then like, it's just, if you're home, it's much easier. You've been running a few different side projects for a number of years. Even, uh, some of those have been before you were even working remotely, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed, uh, since you've started working remotely, are there ways of working that have transitioned over into your kind of side businesses, things that you do different now that you have, have had more experience being remote? Yes, but that, I don't think any of those are perhaps more the reason of being remote. I think it's more of the reason of pairing and the things that I've picked up from pairing from other colleagues. I've I've been terrible at testing in the past. Um, like just didn't I miss that phase of of Rails of testing first and like TDD and testing to me was like oh yeah a customer will you know they'll email in and they'll say something's <laughs> broke and then. I, know that I need to fix it. And like, that's my test. Or why wouldn't you just build it right the first time? Like, don't, don't write, don't write tests, failing tests first. That doesn't make any sense. So 
Yeah, so testing is something that I've picked up and brought back in to side projects. Obviously, my tool chain of Vim and Tmux have been, in my mind, like the biggest thing in in uh, productivity for for programming. I use Trello. We, we early on we used Trello as a as a tool to for like Kanban and to story card stuff. So I started using that for personal projects and a way to kind of visually see what's next, what are some things that I want to work on, what's currently being worked on, what did I just complete, etc. Well, awesome, Taylor. Thank you so much uh, for chatting with us. A lot of great information. Thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.